0: Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to introduce us to the goodness of God. And now that Jesus is king, ruling over the cosmos... We have the Holy Spirit sent from you, Father, and your Son, to empower us to live the life of Jesus in our time. Thank you. Thank you. So illuminate our minds to what you want for us today, in Jesus' name, amen. We're finishing up today a three-part series all about our vision as a church, why Jesus followers exist. In the world, why does Jesus have these things? He calls disciples or apprentices in the world, and here's how we talk about this and think about it around here at Park Hill. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to order our life around three goals. Apprentice of Jesus is another way of saying Christian, and and it's be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Those are our three goals. That's our core pattern. Here at Park Hill Church. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Essentially that. Build your life around those three goals by the power of the Holy Spirit. So two Sundays ago, we did part one, Be With Jesus, You remember our guiding image for that was the disciple John leaning back on Jesus' chest in trust and intimacy in that last supper meal and from that position of intimacy looking out at the world with Jesus' heartbeat in his ear. And that's a beautiful picture of a life of prayer and living your life in solitude and scripture and prayer and just trusting that you are loved by a good father. And and then from being with Jesus, we move to... Part two, last week, Dan Braga from Neighbors Church, he brought it, and it was all about how we become like Jesus, how we change, less like our immaturity and our cycles of baggage and brokenness from our family of origin or whatever, and and, less like our sinful patterns and more like the life-giving patterns of Jesus, again, by the power of Jesus's Holy Spirit. And that was part two, which brings us to part three today, Be With Jesus, Become Like Him, to do what He did today in our time. So we started Ali read from Matthew 4. It's that famous moment where Jesus first chooses his disciples early in his ministry. So let's look at it a little bit deeper right now. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So uh, I want to, for today, I want to draw your attention really to Jesus' purpose statement there. According to Jesus, why does he call disciples to follow him? Right there in verse 19, to send them out to what? To fish for people. That's a weird metaphor. Um, so here's what Jesus is doing. He's a master teacher, and he's both pulling an object lesson from everyday life that these fishermen would understand, and he's but he's also doing something a little deeper. And he's he's pointing to the Hebrew scriptures that his whole culture grew up on. Um so the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus is always drawing from them to say, Hey, I'm I'm the guy that these pages are longing for. I'm the hope of this whole story fulfilled. So on one level, again, he's talking to fishermen, people who draw in fish, right? And he's like, become my disciple and hey, get this, I'll, I'll make you the kind of person who draws people into the good work I'm doing, the kingdom, just like I do, Jesus says. And, and so on another level, he's, he's, he's going deep into the text. Some scholars think Jesus is pointing to Jeremiah, the prophet, in the Hebrew scriptures. Again, remember the Old Testament in your hand, like if you have a paper Bible, the whole like first two thirds or more of pages, that was Jesus's Bible. I, I always like to bring that up because we forget, and it's, it's fascinating, that the Old Testament on your phone or in, in that book in your lap is the book that shaped Jesus's worldview and self-understanding, Um fascinating. And then he gives it to us to say, read it knowing it points to me, Jesus says. In this book, it saturated Israel's consciousness. The language that they spoke came from this text. Their whole worldview came from this text. And so Jesus points to the Old Testament and he's like, I'm the Messiah Jeremiah is longing for. And if you follow me, I will make you agents of Messiah in the world that do what I do. That's what he's saying. And so I'm going to show you the original Jeremiah text that Jesus is probably echoing here, all about how God's going to restore the world through Messiah. And it says this in Jeremiah 16, verse 14. However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, or Yahweh. The days are coming when it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but it will instead be said... As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where He banished them, for I'll restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. So, what's happening here is he's saying there's an old old saying look back at Egypt. God's the God who delivered the Jews from slavery. He's saying there's going to be a new testimony. There's going to be a new story that the whole world is going to celebrate. And it's not just about Egypt. It's going to be God is going to get his whole family back scattered from every ethnicity and every country. God's going to do this thing. It's infinitely more amazing than this this isolated event. It's going to be global. And, and, And so that's the promise. One day God's going to get his family back from every nation back to himself. And so the question is, how? How's he going to do it? Jeremiah continues in verse 16. He says, But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I'll send for many hunters, and they'll hunt them down on every mountain and hill from the crevices of the rocks." And in, in between verse 16 and 21, there's all this language around judgment that his, God's people are doing alongside God. And then it all builds up to what the fishermen do in verse 21. Through the fishermen, verse 21 will happen. Therefore, I will teach them. This time, I will teach them my power and might. Then they all the families on the earth, they will know that my name is Yahweh. So that's 600 years before Jesus, Jeremiah prophesies that this is going to happen. God's going to bring his family back into relationship with himself, and he's doing it through sending out these fishermen. And God's like, through them, I'm going to teach. I'm going to give out Yahweh's teaching, and I'm going to show Yahweh's power and might and character, my name. So fast forward now, 600 years, a little lake, podunk, armpit of the Roman Empire, Israel, and you're by the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is looking at literal fishermen going, oh, this is too perfect. And he's like, now is the time. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of humans. Through you, I'm going to teach my global family what I'm like, my power, might, and character. The Yahweh, Yahweh in person, Jesus is going to show the world what he's like through other people filled with the same spirit of Yahweh. It's amazing, you guys, what we get to be a part of. that, that This is you, Jesus is talking about. If you are a Christian, you are a Yahweh apprentice, a Jesus apprentice filled with the same spirit, meant to be one of these fishers of humans. So how, how do we do this fishing for humans thing? It sounds very strange still to us. What does it look like? Glad you asked. So Matthew lays it out in the very next line. Matthew 24, Matthew 4, 23 rather. He says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Why is that important? That line, it repeats like a chorus through the song of Jesus' life. It's like the biographers of Jesus are intentionally messaging us over and over saying, we're repeating ourselves. This is the refrain, the reprise in the drama. This is the Jesus stuff. That stuff is what he's all about. It's what he did. So it's the stuff his apprentices are supposed to keep doing by his same spirit all over the world until Jesus himself comes back in the flesh. So just to give you a feeling, I'm not this is not to overwhelm you, just to give you a feeling of how often these words are repeated. If you could put up the next slide, this is just a small selection of verses. There's actually two slides of it. Look at Matthew 4, again, there it is. See throughout Galilee teaching, proclaiming, healing, and then Mark 1 proclaiming and driving out demons and Luke 4 preaching. You see these Repeated themes. And then the next slide, I think there's more even, right? No? Another slide? That's it? Great. You got it. The reason the Gospels record all that. Why, why, why do the Gospels feel so repetitive about this Jesus stuff? Uh, it, it's not just so that we can step back and be like, Jesus is amazing. Even though he is, and we do that. But the reason all of this matters so much for us is how he did it all with apprentices. All of that he was doing was with a cohort of apprentices who would be with him to become like him and eventually do all the same stuff in their world by his same spirit's power. You get the, you get the drift here. What does this mean? Well, for, for you and for me, this means as followers of Jesus in North Park or Claremont or Coronado or City Heights, your life is meant to be a life of doing all the things Jesus did if he were you today, empowered by the Spirit in your home, workplace, city, or school, whatever. And what, what are these things we're supposed to do? Here's, again, a selection from the life of Jesus. The kingdom work of Jesus in the Gospels This is not exhaustive. It's not exhaustive, uh, but these are important things that Jesus did, that his followers did. Preach the gospel, teach the way, heal the sick, cast out demons, being with the poor. Not just throwing money at them, but lifting them up. Uh, Eating and drinking with people far from God. Doing justice, peacemaking, non-retaliatory enemy love. praying, fasting, forgiving, prophesying, and standing up against religious and political corruption. So if you're an apprentice of Jesus, aka a Christian, then your end goal until Jesus comes back is to be able to do all of that. So you don't need to hyperventilate right now or feel overwhelmed, but I think at least snap an iPhone pick maybe? Like, because it's really important, you know? You know what I mean? Like, don't feel like it's all yours in 2022. Like, that's not a New Year's resolution that's doable. You know what I mean? Um, but, but it's important. That's the life and mission of Jesus. So if it takes, you know, four to five years to become an electrician, it might take you a little bit longer to become like Jesus. But that's the end goal. Until Christ returns, it's to do the Christ work By Christ's Spirit in the world. Jesus said it this way in the Great Commission, which is Park Hill Church's mission statement. You can see it on the website. It's every church's mission statement. Matthew 28 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make apprentices, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the pattern of Jesus' life. His pattern of teaching, obeying the Father, healing, his prayer life, fasting and forgiveness, generosity and justice and hospitality. All of that Jesus pattern is to be your pattern. And my pattern to be a Christian is to be invited into this. And, and not just invited to do it, but empowered to do it. Empowered to do what Jesus would do if He were you right now in San Diego by the Spirit. Okay? So, how does it work? It, seem, it still seems ethereal at this point. How does it work? I mean, a very simple way to think about it is like basic leadership stuff. If you're into like leadership development, um, strength finders, all that, whatever. I mean, we hear about four stages of apprenticeship or four stages of multiplication. And this is what Jesus does. Uh, it, step one, he says, I do, you watch, right? I think of Jesus preaching and healing and casting out demons and the disciples are like, what on earth is going on right now? They're <laughs> blowing their minds and absorbing. And then step two is, I do, now you help and I think of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? How did he feed the 5,000? He called his disciples to bring some food together, and then he told them to go, go share it. And they're like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to obey. And, and the miraculous occurred. I do, uh, you do, I, I, I do, you help. And then, and then step three, now you do, I help, right? And I think of Jesus sending the 70, disciples out with power to cast out demons and they come back they're like Jesus can you believe it we cast out demons and and they were subject to us we had dominion over demons they're flying and and Jesus is like you're you're pumped about that you should be way more pumped that your name's written in the book of life actually demons are child play and and then and then step 4 is Jesus says now you do I watch and it's not a passive watching it's an active and I think of the great commission now go right? Make disciples. I'm with you to the end. So, so that, that's the same pattern we see Jesus lay out in story after story. The end goal of your discipleship is to do what Jesus did until he returns. Now, I realize at this point, there's some challenges in talking about this topic. Um, I realize at this point I maybe lost some of you, maybe half of you, or or more even, uh, because I'm noticing something as a pastor, as a a teacher of the Bible, and it's in our modern church culture where we feel like our lives are already busy and full, and, you know, we like to compartmentalize spirituality and give church a a, a budget item instead of allow Jesus to infuse it all regularly— Whenever we hear, in, in our culture, whenever we hear a teaching on like, Jesus is the ultimate example, so live like him. Or be more like Jesus, or do more Jesusy things, or adopt the practices. if you, That's the language we use. Like, take on the practices of Jesus to unlock life to the full, or whatever. Um, and so when we talk, especially do what Jesus did, whenever we talk about Jesus as our example, we tend to run into some barriers, some objections, so I'm going to give a disclaimer and respond to one objection that I think is a big deal. First, the disclaimer. is very important. There are some really important things Jesus did that we can never do, okay? Very important to say this. Uh, I'll just name a couple, for one being God. We can't do that. Only Jesus is God forever. We are God never, ever in any way, So that's one. You can't be God. Number two, you are never going to die for anyone's sin. You're never going to atone for anyone's sin. Only Jesus qualifies as a sacrifice for sin for one simple reason. Only Jesus was sinless. Every other human has sinned and is therefore disqualified from being crucified for someone else which is actually really good news. Like, it's the gospel, right? Like, Jesus did what you could never do. That's in the gospel. He lived and died as the sinless sacrifice for all of your sins, past, present, and future, so that not only are you forgiven, not only can your guilt be replaced by belonging, not only can your defilement or whatever you've taken in yourself, brokenness bags, not only can that be cleansed and healed, but then you can be empowered so that all the amazing things that happened to Jesus can and will happen to you. Case in point, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to do what Jesus did. One day in the new heavens and new earth, your body is going to rise from the grave, just like Jesus did. And not only will you follow him in resurrection, but your whole life before the resurrection, your whole life until you die, you are invited to receive power, to follow Jesus in doing the things Jesus did in your own life by the same spirit that empowered Jesus and resurrected him. So that's a disclaimer. There's some really important things. Jesus did, you can never do, <laughs> like being God and dying for other people's sins. And because he's God and because he died for other people's sins, you and I can do everything else, that, all the wonderful things that took place to Jesus. Which brings me to a common objection. I hear this all the time. Here it is. And it's actually really bad. Very bad objection. Because it sabotages our journey in and with The Spirit, this sabotages our our spiritual journey. When we talk about becoming like Jesus, I hear this objection, but Jesus was God, right? It's almost like a pushback to do what Jesus did, do all the things, but he was like God. It's like a pushback. Of course he was God, absolutely. But when it's framed as this pushback to doing what he empowers us to do, do. The assumption behind that is, well, the reason Jesus could do all that Jesus-y stuff was because he wasn't really a human. I mean, I know he's human. Like I, I I have a picture in my mind of how he was human, but he wasn't fully human like me. He was like God, and I'm not God or Jesus. That's O for two. So how could I possibly heal the sick or cast out demons or even just live a sexually fulfilled life as a celibate single person? Jesus did that, but he was God, right? But that, I want to say that pushback would be foreign to Jesus' first disciples and the writers of the New Testament who constantly talk about Jesus as the ultimate example of how to be a human. They're always referring to Jesus as the exemplar. Plus, by the way, it's, it's worth pointing out that that pushback, but Jesus was God so I can't follow him. That pushback is functional heresy. Uh, specifically the heresy of docetism, which the, voted down in the first council of Nicaea in 325. No test on that. Just one of the most important moments in human history aside from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But, but here's, here's, why, here's why I say this. Here's why this is important. The heresy of docetism was this false idea that Jesus only seemed to be human and his human form and all the suffering and all the human limits that go with being human, that was all just an illusion. Think Clark Kent, Superman. So with, what did Clark Kent have? First of all, he's an alien, right? Uh, secondly, he had this big S on his chest that no one could see. So there's this hidden S, and whenever it gets busted out, he gets to do the Superman stuff. Um, but he, the rest of the time, he's under the disguise of Clark Kent, this unassuming, seemingly weak, vulnerable, yet charming man and who, who is essentially incapable of being hurt. Like when Clark Kent gets punched by the mugger, he, he gets Lois Lane out of the way, but then he gets punched. He acts hurt. He's not actually hurt because he's like a Kryptonian, you know. Um, when this thinking is applied to Jesus, it is functional docetism. It's a heresy, Okay. It's like, but Jesus was God. That's how he could do all the miraculous stuff. All the sinless living. It's because he was God. And I'm not. So that's why I'm stuck in all my cycles of sin. And I'm powerless to change. Doomed to the same patterns of family of origin stuff. Because Jesus wasn't really a human like me. No, the reality is Jesus experienced every human limitation connected to temptation that you and I do every single day of his life, and he overcame all of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot read through the Gospels without seeing that plain as day, especially the Gospel of Luke. Everything Jesus did was through the power of the Spirit. He even goes so far in John to say, I can do nothing of myself. Hebrews 4 says it this way, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So connect that to his logic or her, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some say it could have been Priscilla, which is kind of a cool theory. But... Uh, Yet Jesus was without sin. Now here's the logic, verse 16. Let us then, because Jesus was tempted in every way and was empowered through it through obedience, because of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace, which is empowerment with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. Connection is made to Jesus' way of living. We can live the same way. If you can fast forward to slide 16. Everything Jesus did, he did as a real true human being empowered by the Holy Spirit as the example for his apprentices to follow. That's you. And let me say very clearly, so I'm not misheard, Jesus never stopped being fully 100% God, uniquely the second person of the Trinity, Yahweh. Never stopped being God. He just put aside the use of his exclusive God perks. Yeah, it's like he had an all access pass to the universe. And when he was born, Jesus of Nazareth, he put that card down and he lived as a fully human being. Please hear me. Never stop being God. So he could have picked that card back up at any time, which was Satan's temptation in the wilderness. Make that stone bread. Cast yourself off the temple. He, he was being tempted to pick up the God. He lived as a man. But he didn't. He didn't. He lived as a real, true human. He wasn't like an avatar, you know, like a Yahweh-controlled human vehicle. No, everything he did, miracles, teachings, healings, everything else, he did it as a perfectly spirit-filled human being as the example for you and me to follow. And they did follow. His disciples did what Jesus did by the Holy Spirit. The early church did what Jesus did by the Holy Spirit. And now you and I do what we do in the way of Jesus by the same Holy Spirit. And and now I think it's important that we wrap up this three-part vision series with two closing thoughts. This hopefully, yeah, this will hopefully be very practical, this moment. It'll bring it all together. And number one, thought one, it's important that you know where you're at. Know your stage of discipleship to Jesus. Here's what I mean. Throw up those three goals. Be what Jesus, become, do. So those three things, don't misunderstand them. They're not a three-step program. You know, they're not like three levels in a video game. You level up to becoming like Jesus if you're with him long enough. Or you level up to doing what he did if you become like him enough. That's not the idea here. All three of these are essential to life in God all the time. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, your identity, do you know this? You are loved. Your identity is beloved daughter, beloved son, and because you're in Christ. As a Christian, you're just in Christ. Which means you can read the story of Jesus in the river, being baptized, and you could see yourself in Christ, belly button deep in the waters of the Jordan, the father declaring, look at my beloved daughter, look at my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit falls upon you because you are in Christ. And being with Jesus is a way of reminding your body, mind, and soul of that truth. Through prayer, through scripture, through silent salt, through gathering in community like this and eating the bread and drinking the cup, we remind ourselves where we are we are in Christ, and we so easily forget. We forget that we get to be with Jesus because we are with Jesus, so we live like we're not. You will never graduate from needing to be with Jesus, ever. At the same time, you'll never graduate from needing to become like Jesus. In Paul's words, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, more love, more kindness, more joy, definitely more patience these days. This is the invitation of a lifetime, and it's never complete until Christ returns and he finishes the work he started in you. And it's not like, oh, I'll finally do what Jesus did. I'll finally live out that dream. If I can just become like him enough, it's not like that. All three, you can do what Jesus did now. Be, become all of that. Why am I saying this? Because it's important for each of us to stop today as we step into a busy season of Advent and identify What stage am I at in following Jesus? In other words, which of those three goals be, become, do? Which one is the Holy Spirit inviting me to focus on right now in this unique season? Maybe you're new to following Jesus. Maybe you're new or you haven't yet figured out if you follow him, in which case, you are invited to be with Jesus. Join the new family of Jesus through faith. On December 5th Sunday, we're going to do baptisms. Be with Jesus. Step into the waters of baptism. Unite yourself with Christ and his family. You, you, won't, it's, you won't regret it. It's like, a, a, it's the most, um, what's the word? Under, it's under most underwhelming way of saying you will not regret choosing to join in Christ and his community through baptism. Be with Jesus. Uh, So maybe you're here, though, and you're genuinely doubting that you're worthy of love. Maybe you're living with crippling shame or guilt or believing a lie based on a truth. That's how Satan's lies always work there's an event in your past or there's a word that was spoken or there's a narrative that was spun by someone and it really was spun and it really was done to you. And Satan has taken that truth, forged it into a lie, embedded it in your soul and now you're living it out and you're not worthy of love. And you're like, there's no way the crucified Jesus would clean me or forgive me. So if that's you, listen very carefully. The cross is enough. The cross is enough. Through the cross, Jesus has opened the way for you to belong. Just look at Jesus' death on the cross and I dare you to tell me that you're not worthy of love. If the cross tells you anything, it's that God sees you as infinitely Worthy of love to the point he gave his only son for you. Don't, don't say you're not worthy of love. He gave his son to, to, so he could be with you. So the invitation for you, be with him. Be with him. Others of you here, you are learning to be with him, and you're loving it. Like, you're hearing his voice for the first time. We're hearing stories about this all the time in our church. You're hearing God's voice. You're realizing how good he is. And you're seeing, like, measurable transformation in your life, and you're loving community in a new way. Um, it's beautiful. And, and, and still others are in that same place, but it's like, uh, wow, I'm realizing my work. My work is more than just a job to collect a paycheck so I can do what I want with my vacation time. But but through being with Jesus, my character is as I had Jing, And I'm realizing God has a kingdom vocation for me to step into. And it's like the dreams I had 10 years ago. And I'm feeling like, like spurred on in a fresh way. And so you're surrounding yourself with wise counselors and mentors. And you're like reevaluating your weekly rhythm and your financial budget and who you're spending your time with and how you're structuring your monthly calendar so that you can live in relationship with the poor and simplify maybe your wardrobe so that you can then like give that which you've stored for the sake of the have-nots in the name of Jesus. You're actually reevaluating everything and you're doing what Jesus did afresh. Uh, maybe it's through volunteering at Royal Family Kids Camp in the summer. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna be able to spend a week with some of the most vulnerable human beings in San Diego County, the kids in foster care, who are being entrusted to us for a week for the camp of their lives. And we're recruiting volunteers. And maybe you're like, this is my time. I'm gonna do what Jesus did for the vulnerable. Or maybe bringing meals. Maybe it's your community, cooking up a meal and bringing it to the houseless families sleeping in cars at Safe Park through Jewish Family Services. You can get their contact info on our website. And you're gonna bring a meal and eat it with them. Be in proximity to the poor. Whatever it is, you're actively arranging your life to do the things Jesus did in your space. To which I say, well done. See, being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did, all of them, we never graduate from any of them. It's not like they're three steps. And I'm saying this to say, know your stage. And by that I mean, what's the one aspect of be become do that God is shining light on maybe it's going back from do you've been doing and God wants to remind you to, you're a human being he's calling you to Sabbath or, or you've, you're great at Sabbathing and you're great at finding quiet time and you're like I'm just going to find quiet time for the next five years for a while and I'm not going to do anything and, and to which I say that's great but maybe you should be quietly having quiet time with the two year olds back at Park Hill Kids and do some stuff and, and whatever it is, God, what is the one thing the Spirit of God is pulling to the surface? Identify what that is and be obedient to that. That's just my pastoral encouragement for you today. And then the second one, I told you there were two. The last one, finally, don't underestimate the power of a rule of life. Okay? Or, okay. A, 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 a way of practicing Jesus's teachings in community. Don't underestimate how powerful that is. That language is maybe four months new for our church. We just did our future church series where we talked about eight challenges that our culture is creating for the church really and we're facing them. But from Jesus's life, he gives us eight practices that correspond and empower us to flourish in whatever culture we're in. And and so we believe everyone in our church is called to practice These things, like these eight things, they kind of sum up a robust way of following Jesus in the world. Um, And the ancient phrase for that is a rule of life. And if you remember, that phrase, rule of life, it comes from the picture of a vineyard. And the idea is the trellis is the rule for the fruit to grow and bear fruit. Like we need a trellis. We can't just grow willy-nilly any way we want. Jesus gives us a way to grow and, and that's a rule of life. And so we have actually, we're publishing a chart for you to fill out. And there, oh, there's the actual chart. Good job, guys. Last, last service, they just put up a QR code to download the chart, uh, which we're going to do. We're going to do that after this. But see, if you can see, um, there's the eight columns, silent solitude, scripture, prayer, and so forth. And they loosely associate with be, become, Do. The idea is we want to call you as Park Hill members, really family. This is how we follow Jesus. What does it look like for you? For me, silence and solitude, I I put that because of my phase of life. I put that in the bottom left corner under monthly, and I wrote six to eight Hours, silence, solitude—that is my best month. If I can get an eight-hour day once a month where I'm still before Jesus, or six hours, then I am—I am, I am doing—I am present to Jesus in silence. And then Scripture daily, Galatians and Psalms up at the top. Prayer and fasting in the weekly box. I do—I fast every Wednesday until dinner to be with Jesus and so forth. What does your rule of life look like? Today, right now, is an invitation for you to dream it up with your community, alone with the Spirit, and whatever it looks like. And, and I think the next slide has the QR code, yeah? So there it is. You can, like, snap a picture and download that chart right now. It's, it'll just take you right to our church website where that chart is located. All that to say, um, Christians don't get to tell Jesus No, you know, I'm not going to do quiet prayer. It doesn't fit right now. Christians don't get to say that (laughs) to Jesus. We don't get to say, you know, Jesus' scripture and, and like, tangible generosity. It just doesn't really fit my life. Um, In fact, I'm finding more and more these things are a matter of survival for my soul. As this world gets increasingly hostile and divisive, and busy. I can actually feel the spiritual trajectory of my life changing if I do or don't do these things. And the Spirit of God inhabits these things, you guys. We don't do these things to earn God's favor. Your identity is already favored. Must say this, that must sink deeply. And so we do these things to delight in the favor God has already placed in our souls. How are you doing with that? So there we go. That's the vision series. Next week begins Advent. As we wrap up, let's stand. We're going to come to the table, and we're going to open the room up for prayer. (laughs) And as as we do, let me just tell you, you can do this. You can do this. You can follow Jesus and experience the abundant, flourishing, thriving life of Jesus in your life, in your space, because the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is real. God's power is real and available, and you are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is God's empowering presence. You're invited to come boldly for it, to be with God and to change and to live like Jesus in the world, which is drawing people into his kingdom all over the world. As people do what Jesus did, he makes us fishers of humans. And more and more people experience the fullness of life and the God who is good. The question is, are you coming boldly? The invitation is open. And part of coming boldly is going to be right now just coming for prayer. Like, I want, to, I want increased boldness. I want increased power to live in my own shoes like Jesus would. I love that idea. You know the bracelets, What Would Jesus Do from the 90s? Yeah, they're pretty fun. I, I, I like that, but it's almost at some point I hit a wall with those because I'm like, should I get that job? Should I take up that cause? And I'm like, what would Jesus do? I'm like, well, Jesus was an itinerant, nomadic, Jewish, male rabbi. So would he take that job? Would he buy that house? Well, he was a houseless rabbi. So he'd probably couch surf on his rich friends, you know, while preaching. So I'm not going to do what Jesus did in that way. Um, But when you turn it around, it's not just what would Jesus do? A more creative and I think more biblical framework is what would Jesus do if he were you today, if he had your gender, if he was your ethnicity, if he had your education level or lack thereof, if he was in your neighborhood of San Diego, what would Jesus do if he were you? So come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray for power in that and revelation and creativity. Maybe it's just an identity prayer. God wants to pour out his love in your heart. Come forward. Let us pray God's love over your life. Whatever it is, come. Before we come to the table, let's pray for each other and watch the power of God transform and open our eyes. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you make us aware of your love first and foremost? And if we're living in any way contrary to your love through sin, we come forward to repent and receive forgiveness and cleansing and then power for life in Christ. Have your way in this moment as we sing and as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.